Call us, 877-337-6666. Powered by Paramount Plus. Stream the NFL on CBS live on Paramount Plus. Three. Nick Monagle here with you. I was just telling Marco as we were joking around, as we often do, both of us being big guys, but to be fair to him, I'm bigger. Um, I was joking. I'm a little under the weather. I think I got it being around a million kids at my nephew's birthday party at one of these uh, Billy B's type places. It wasn't a Billy B's, uh, but it was like one of those places where like the kids run around and jump on trampolines and go through different like you know things and climb things and rock climb and uh go through tunnels and obstacle courses all with padding and stuff like you know it's just like one of those things you let the kids go they run around and i was just saying i found something that's a major positive to being large like i am it's one of the first things i've really found where i'm like yeah it it is such a good thing that I am this size. And that's, I don't have to try and get them if they don't want to come down from somewhere. Like, I can't climb a, a like, you know, a, 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 a blow-up kind of ladder. I'm too big for that. I can't get into one of these tunnels and crawl around with the other kids. Like, I'm too big for that. Someone who's in better shape, much thinner than me, has to go up there and get my crying kid who won't come down and is like in that little glass bubble, you know, like on, on the turns, there'll be like the little glass bubble you could see through. And he's just staring out. And you're like, Andrew, Andrew, come down here. Tommy, go get your brother. Andrew. And he's just looking at you like dumbfounded and he doesn't want to move. Up, oh, sorry, honey, that's on you. Someone else. I can't fit in those tunnels. Nope. Can't do it. Too big. I can't climb up that, you know, plush ladder there that's barely a ladder but these little like three centimeter out you know things that i i can't step on that i'll go right through that thing sorry can't do it someone else have to, someone else is gonna have to go take care of my children i can't do it and typically that would sound awful and depressing and makes you wonder how i am living life and the choices i've made but no it actually made me feel good it made me feel good that i didn't have to bother with that what makes me not feel good <clears throat> is not feeling good and when you're around all those, you know, snot-nosed kids, mainly my two, my two boys, you end up sick. And I'm a little under the weather, but that's okay. We'll push through. 877-337-6666. Yep, the best winning percentage this month, the Knicks. Of course, the Cavs are right behind them at 10-2. and two. And the Clippers, who are, who are really hot as well, 11-3. and three. So the Knicks, the Cavs, and the Clippers – are the three hottest teams in the NBA, but numero uno is the New York Knickerbockers at 13 and 2 over the last five, uh, of last 15, and of course, seven in a row now. But the transition of football a little bit is that last caller brought up Patrick Mahomes. You know, obviously, listening a lot to the radio today, as we still are breaking down and trying to understand what happened in Championship Sunday. As I really start to think about these games and listening to the midday show and just the talk going around is that, oh, my God, to be a Lions fan. How depressing, how miserable. 
And we talked about it last night. Yeah, you wake up a Lions fan today, you are sick. You had a 17-point lead at the half. It evaporated before the third quarter ended. The, your coach made decisions that you know a lot of people can't seem to wrap their minds around. And I'm sorry, I'll continue to say this too. That is not just analytics. I'm so tired of this. It never ends with analytics. You people hate it. Everything is just analytics. Like, no one ever made a big-time decision. No one ever passed on a field goal. Nobody ever. And stop saying you, he took three points off the board. You don't know if the field goals go in. And I heard dog. I heard uh, Mad Dog's rant or whatever, and he's like, but you got a good kicker. What do you mean they got a good kicker? They don't have a good kicker. They got a kicker they picked up a month ago. So please, stop acting like he took points off the board that you know they would have had. I, if he passed up on the field goal at the end of the first half, I would give you that. Okay, he passed up three points there if he went for it on fourth, fourth down to try and score that touchdown at the end of the half and they came up short. That would be passing up on three points. Fine. Give, passing up on a 48-yard field goal is not just saying you're, you're giving away three points. You passed on an opportunity to get three points. You didn't just take three points off the board. And I've defended that all day. I, we can still defend that. I, I think it's a questionable decision. And I personally would have kicked every situation. I would have kicked at the end of the half. I would have kicked both. I would have kicked in the third quarter up 24-10. I would have kicked at the end of the game tied, uh, looking to tie the game up at 27. I would have kicked in every situation. Dan Campbell didn't, but stop blaming analytics. That's how he coaches. I'm sure they have a philosophy on some way. Their overall arcing philosophy is kind of based on those numbers on some way. So I'm not saying analytics plays no part, but it's not just strictly they came down and said, hey, it's a it's a 51.2% chance he that we continue to score more points if you don't kick the field goal. Okay, 51%. All right, let's go. Like It's a gut reaction thing. That's how he coaches. He wants to be aggressive. You can argue with it. That's fine, but stop blaming analytics for everything. Oh my God, it's amazing what we find out what people hate. We hate we hate celebrities who want to date each other and 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 go to each other's events. We hate we hate Taylor Swift. We hate Kelsey for that. We hate numbers. We I don't know why we hate numbers, but we hate numbers and we hate people who listen to numbers. I mean, God forbid you're behind someone who doesn't know how to count their change. You hate them. But then you also hate people who follow the numbers. We hate numbers. I mean, it's so we hate analytics in such a passion. It drives me absolutely bonkers. Right, exactly. If you don't know how to manage the clock, you're an idiot. But if you're good at math with analytics, you're an idiot. So it's just, it's pretty much, if you, if you lose the game, you're stupid. If you win the game, it doesn't matter that you're stupid. That's pretty, everyone's stupid. Winners just get past it. But as much as it is a, a struggle to wake up and be a Lions fan, and them and the Browns are the – I'd still rather be a Lions fan than a Browns fan if you think about it because they lost their franchise for a while. And then they had to go watch the Ravens win a championship and then have the new Browns come in and be just as bad as the old Browns. The Browns were, were terrible just long enough to move to Baltimore – and then they brought in new Browns who are just as bad as the old Browns while the Baltimore Ravens have been one of the more stable franchises in the NFL. So I think I'd rather be an, a Lions fan than a Browns fan. But still, it's that's a gut-wrenching loss that you're up 17 points and you blew it. 
and the 49ers came back and made it a game. You made decisions that cost you uh, cost yourself, you know, a ball off a face mask was really a game-changing play. A fumble from your rookie running back was a game-changing play, and ultimately you fell short uh, to the number one seed who has not played well in these playoffs, to be honest with you. Devastating, sick, it's impossible. But the more I think about it, and what and and the more Dan Campbell's point after the game talks about how hard it is to get there, how hard it is to get back there, how difficult it's going to be for the Lions to get back into the championship game. I start to think about how hard it is for even the likes of the Baltimore Ravens to get back to that game. And the Ravens had a great regular season. The quarterback is going to win the MVP. Todd Munkin has done an incredible job. John Harbaugh had a great year again. This was their year. And if you look, now that you've got his brother, Jim Harbaugh, taking over Herbert and the Chargers, you've got Aaron Rodgers, hopefully healthy with the Jets. Patrick Mahomes is going nowhere. Joe Burrow is going to be hopefully healthy this year. It might be harder than ever to get back to that game. And I probably expect Patrick Mahomes to get more offensive weapons this year and get a, get another pass catcher and a wide receiver, even if Kelsey either retires, which I don't know if he's ready to retire just yet, or continues to slow down, although he's not slowing down in the playoffs, but he had a down regular season for him. I expect them to improve offensively and get more passing weapons from Patrick Mahomes. So who knows when the when the Ravens get back here too. What's good for the Lions is good for the Ravens. It's hard to get back here. And when you look at that game, as much as yeah, okay, they lost to the Patrick Mahomes, the great player and the and the great team that has owned the AFC and owned the NFL for the last five or six years. And they were never really in it, and they didn't blow a lead, and it wasn't devastating at the last second. If you look at that game, the more and more I, I, I think about it and go through it, I'd much rather be the Lions who went out their way. And you can question Dan Campbell all you want, and I think it's fair. But Dan Campbell played the game and coached the game his way. They were aggressive to a fault. And that's what's got them there. And that's the identity of the Detroit Lions. The identity of the Detroit Lions is aggressive to a fault. That's who they are. That's that's what's in their DNA. That's what this coach has instilled in them. And they lost and they blew a lead. And it's a devastating loss for a franchise who's used to devastating losing. But at least they went out their way. The Baltimore Ravens got shook by Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Kansas City Chiefs and did not play their football game and did not play their style and did not lead into their identity and certainly offensively and defensively figured it out at halftime and shut shut down Patrick Mahomes and shut down Andy Reid and shut down that Kansas City offense and gave their offense every single opportunity to get back into that game. And their identity is well-coached 
and their identity is run the football, and their identity is athletic plays from their MVP quarterback. And the more you look at that game, they ran the ball. They gave their running backs eight carries. And really, you know, six. I mean, you got Zay Flowers getting two. They hardly ran the ball. They hardly ran the ball. Gus Edwards had three carries for 20 yards, and one of them was 15 early on in the game. This is a team that has established the run all year long, that lost their stud running back to start the year, and it didn't slow them down a bit. This is a team who's fed off the run and lived off the run all year, and then in big games, run with Lamar Jackson and don't necessarily have to throw the ball down the field. And instead, all game long, all they did was drop ass, drop, drop back and look down the field. Drop back, look down the field. They got out of who they are. And their offensive coordinator, as great a year as he may have had, completely got shook and did not stick with his game plan and went outside of what they do for no reason. For no reason other than they felt they needed to compete with Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City team. And the defense did an amazing job. Just an amazing job. I mean, if you look at the way Kyle Hamilton played in that game and the way that Ravens defense and Roquan Smith Like, they had an excellent second half, and yet their offense and who they are as a Ravens team completely crapped the bed and changed who they were. I would rather wake up knowing my team played their game and just lost. And, yeah, blew a 17-point lead. And, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And, yeah, there's a million decisions, whether it's the going for it on fourth down, whether it's uh, the the third down run at the goal line at the end of the game – which, by the way, I have to admit, a caller brought up today with Evan, and I didn't even think about it. And I'm not, I don't remember it being mentioned on the broadcast. I didn't even think about it. And it's its a fair point that I didn't mention last night, and I didn't think about it. On that third down at the end of the game, when the Lions score that touchdown to try and make it a field goal game, and they get tackled short of the goal line, and everybody's screaming and crying they had to waste their time out. A mistake was running the football, clearly. You can't run the football because if you take a timeout there, you're forced to go onside kick, and onside kicks don't work in the NFL anymore. It's pretty much a loss. So why not hang on? Even though you got tackled in the in the field of play, why not hang on to the timeout and just run up to the line and call your fourth down play and run that play? Because that's a better option than wasting the timeout. I never even thought of it. Once he got tackled, I assumed you had to call the timeout. You could have run up to the to the to the to the line and just ran your fourth down play without calling the timeout and probably saved yourself some time and an opportunity to get the ball back even without the onside kick. So there's a mistake in running the ball. There's a mistake in not having the foresight to just run up and not call the timeout if you get tackled inside the field. And then there's the decisions of going for it on fourth down instead of kicking field goals. So there's tons of things. There's the lucky nature of the ball off the face mask. There's a million things in that game. The drop passes. Every aspect 
of that Lions game and the meltdown and the blowing of a 17-point halftime lead. But at least they were true to themselves. At least they were who they were all year and played the same game they played all year and were uber-aggressive and went out there trying to win the football game. The Ravens completely melted down and changed who they were and what made them successful all year. And yeah, the quarterback played pretty poorly. And yes, he threw an interception you can't throw into triple coverage in the end zone. And they uncharacteristically talk about who they are too. The penalties were just atrocious. At, inoper- at just the worst times, the Zay Flowers. And then the fumble into the end zone. And again, I, this is another point I disagree. Like, the idea that there's nothing you can do and it's just bad luck and, uh, you know, what's-his-name made a great play defensively to get the fumble after being the guy who took the penalty on the taunting. I I, I disagree. I think in the NFL you have got... I think you've got to coach it. I think you've got to explain it to your your players, your wide receivers, your running backs, your quarterbacks, whomever. You cannot extend the football at the goal line unless you know the minute you extend it, you're in the end zone. You cannot have a prolonged dive headfirst with the ball extended into the end zone. You can't do it. I heard a lot of people today just going, well, that's just bad luck, great play. It is a great play. But you cannot extend that, unless it's fourth down, clearly, and you're going to be short. Unless it's fourth down and, and you have no choice but to try and get into that end zone. But if it's not fourth down, if you have another play coming, you cannot extend that football for an, a period, an extended period of time and dive into the end zone with those arms extended. It doesn't work. You have to hold it tight, and then if you're going to extend it, the, the extending it itself passes the goal line. Otherwise, you can't do it. That To me, that's a mistake. That's a great play, but it's a mistake. And they made a ton of them. A ton of them. And yes, you can't hit Patrick Mahomes. It's different than hitting other quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is not going to get the same calls that Patrick Mahomes gets. Welcome to the world. All right, that's how it works. Watch every other sport. I mean, literally, every other sport. Barry Bonds did not have the same strike zone as a rookie. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Luka Doncic. These guys do not have the same... It doesn't take the same uh, contact to get a foul on those guys as it does some of the lesser players in the NBA. That's it. So stop complaining. And that's what you get out of Baltimore, complaining and this and that, when ultimately it's not just about the quarterback. The head coach who, as much as we praise, and he has won a Super Bowl, and they do have a good team year in and year out, is not the idea that this quarterback and this offense implodes in these big games on the coach at all? I mean, how long before we get to a point where Harbaugh is not as successful a big-game coach and successful a winning coach as we all like to give him credit for? Now, we'll see. 
He, he's good enough and they're good enough to get right back into this game next year. But it ain't easy. And as much as you can lament, just because it's been forever since the Lions got into that game and we've seen the Ravens be in that game more frequently, it doesn't mean it's any easier for Baltimore to get back into that championship game. And for me, yes, the initial thought was, especially coming off that night game, watching the devastation of the Lions and all their history of losing and blowing a 17-point lead, sure. What a disaster it is to be a Lions fan, sure. Rather be a Ravens fan than a Lions fan, of course, over its history, no doubt. You've been to Super Bowls, you've won two. As long as you're of age, if you can go back to the 2000 Ravens, one of the more dominating defenses we've ever seen, sure. But if you're just a a fan projecting the future, and if you're just a fan recovering from a brutal loss, it's it's difficult to get back to that game no matter which team you're talking about, and at least the Lions went down on their sword. At least the Lions went down playing their football, being aggressive in the run game, dominating you up front, taking your chances in the passing game, taking your chances on fourth down, trying to put your foot on the throat of the other team, going out there trusting your offense to get short get short yardage on fourth down, being who they were all year long. The Ravens completely fell to the idea of having to chase Kansas City and got scared by Andy Reid, his sexy mustache, and the greatest player in the NFL. I'd rather be the team that lost my way than the team that absolutely imploded and played their worst game in two years. 877-337-6666. McMonigle here with you. So we'll take your football calls as well. We open up with the Knicks. And their hot streak continues to seven uh, despite the fact they've lost Randall, despite the fact OG didn't play. The news on Randall sounds pretty good. We're waiting for definitive word and some sort of time frame, but it sounds like weeks, not months. But in those weeks, they could acquire someone or they could just keep the status quo, which right now is a winning formula. So we got the Knicks, the devastation for both franchises who lost the championship game and how, in my mind, at least the Lions lost the way they should and the way they played all year, whereas just absolute embarrassment and the way the Baltimore Ravens turned that game into a game where they played to try and beat to try and beat Kansas City instead of making Kansas City come to them when they were the one seed in that game. So we'll get to that. Uh, a couple of interesting things to get to as well. We got how do we feel about tribute videos, and how do we feel about a former player in this town being as honest and self-aware as any we've heard about them? I found the comments from Durant interesting, and then of course. We'll get to the baseball. It sounds like the Mets might be looking for a bat after all, and there's one guy, reports are, could be signing in the near future. Is it a fit for the New York Mets and for the Yankees? Stop. Just stop. I was watching SMY before I came in here, and JJ, who I love and respect, love you, JJ, he's still saying it. We need to stop saying it. When this happened, you talked about it on the fan. Manning back, steps up, heaves one down the middle of the field, into the end zone, and Nix makes the catch for the touchdown! He went up with the big hands and caught it on the Hail Mary on the final play of the half. When New York sports happens, talk about it here. The Fan, 1019 FM, and always live on the free Odyssey app.
Bonagle here with you. 877-337-6666. So I've mentioned a couple times about tribute videos. And people get all crazed about tribute videos. Who deserves one? Who doesn't deserve one? And I have had my issues with Yankee fans. I think Yankee fans are a little spoiled. I think Yankee fans uh, are on Brian Cashman a lot too much over the years. I think Brian. Uh, I think the Yankee fans hate their team too much over the years, uh, and I think Yankee fans boo guys too much over the years. I, this is the way you know. I, the the idea that Stanton was booed on opening day of his first year here. I don't care. I don't care if he struck out six. I don't care if they played nineteen innings and extra innings and he struck out ten times in the four double plays. I don't care. You know, why would you boo someone the first time they're ever in the Bronx? And the same thing for me. One of my low my low moments in Yankee uh, fandom for me, honestly, this is how I feel. I'm not making this up. Booing Aaron Hicks just relentlessly when they were, you know, during his return with Baltimore. I know he's an Oriole, and I have no problem booing him when he comes to the plate. But booing the tribute video to a guy who had been here for a while did hit playoff home runs, hit a game-winning home run off of Verlander and the Astros, a guy and a team they never beat. He had a game-winning home run against Verlander. He had his moments. He was brutally bad. And I know it's uh, it was a symbol of Brian Cashman, so it was a way to boo Brian Cashman in some ways. But I thought it was ridiculous. I was really pissed off. That Yankee Stadium just absolutely booed a tribute video to a guy who'd been here for a while. He's already gone. Let him go. Boo him when he comes to the plate. He's a Baltimore Oriole. Fine. No problem with that. But the tribute video, you got to boo the tribute video. I thought it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. But at the same time, I think they give certain teams we've seen give tribute videos to too many people. And I think pretty uh, notably... Now the big three with Brooklyn. And if you remember, Kyrie Irving came to town and apparently was going to have one. Evans told the story. They were going to have a tribute video for Kyrie Irving. And it was made pretty clear that it would not be met with a positive nature. So they decided to cancel it. And now, I guess, let me see what day it is. I guess the um, Kevin Durant and the... Uh, Phoenix Suns are coming to Brooklyn on, yeah, today, excuse me, yeah. Oh, tomorrow, excuse me, one thirty-one. Tomorrow, 8.30 p.m. And I guess he was asked or he tweeted out something about his a possible tribute video to him. And then he furthered the comments, and I thought the comments were really rather interesting. I'm just going to paraphrase. I don't think you have to know them perfectly. But pretty much the comments were, we didn't accomplish anything there. My time in Brooklyn, ultimately, did we didn't accomplish anything. There's nothing to celebrate. I don't think I'm entitled to a tribute video. It didn't really go the way we wanted it to in Brooklyn. I wasn't there very long, and we accomplished nothing. And to hear a player, now I don't know, I, I don't know, if it's, I think some people would think it's some sort of <clears throat> pre-salvo to hopefully not get booze if they have one or he's hoping for one. I don't know. I don't know if it's like reverse psychology. But that says, like, to recognize that your time here was a failure, which I think of of the three, 
the most, uh, you know, obviously between Kyrie and James Harden and Kevin Durant, there's no doubt Kevin Durant was the most successful net of the three and someone who the fans could in, in some way have an affinity for on some level. Now he demanded a trade out before the season, the, a couple, you know, the year before he left. It wasn't always smooth. He was injured for the first year, recovering from the Achilles, and he's 100% right. Not only did they not accomplish enough, they are the biggest, arguably the biggest embarrassment and joke in the history of the NBA, if not sports. That level of talent to, to win as little as they did is unprecedented. To have that group where you are talking about arguably three of the top 10 scorers in the NBA at one given time and arguably three of the top what, 25, 30 in the history of the NBA. To be on your team at once and to do nothing but win one round of playoffs? He's 100% right. Not, they didn't accomplish enough. They didn't accomplish anything. They're an embarrassment. It's an era that we'll look back on as being a, a just a, a colossal failure and joke. So I understand. I, I I applaud him for trying to preemptively saying, "Don't put up a video up there," because who's got the fans are just going to boot me, and they absolutely will. But uh, you know, in this world where we get so hung up on this stuff, I talked yesterday about the the broadcasting and Tony Romo. We get hung up on stuff that sometimes I just can't fathom. We get hung up on, and the idea of of tribute videos. Who cares? Like honestly, if you're you're a net fan, Kevin Durant symbolizes that big three and the era of what is the most disappointing. I just went over it. The most disappointing and obvious. Just embarrassing failure in the history of the NBA. If he comes to town and they play a th- if they play a minute video before the game starts, either sit on your hands, or if you're a young kid who who you know was right in that era and fell in love with the Nets because of that time period and has Kevin Durant stuff, who, slightly applaud. Like who cares? We get hung up on this stuff. Like the idea that a tribute video, like there are plenty. Like I. My, for whatever reason, not that he was awful with the Yankees, not that he was just, you know, an embarrassment necessarily, but I dislike Randy Johnson because I had high expectations and he didn't meet them. I thought that team could be better. He was supposed to come here and win games. I know he was later in his life, but he had a great year the year before, throwing through a perfect game the year before. I expected him to be terrific. Then there were back issues and blah, blah, blah. And it just it symbolizes a time period of bad pitching and, and the end of Joe Torre's uh, career with losing those series all in the first round and everything. Just, you know, not very fun times. And the pitching was awful and they lose to the Tigers. and they, uh, 06 Tigers, I can't stand. But if I went to Yankee Stadium and he was there doing photography, which is what he does now, and they showed him on camera or they played a tribute video. Now, again, it's not apples to apples. It's not the embarrassment that Kevin Durant is and that big three is, nor do the Nets have the level of success the Yankees have had over the years. Being a Yankee fan is different than being a Net fan, granted. But there is no one they can show on that camera who played for the Yankees. Like Carl Pavano could have a tribute video. At Yankee Stadium. If he came in, as if he gets a job as a broadcaster, I don't know, they put him on the screen. Former Yankee, Carl Pavano. Why the hell would I boo? 
Who the hell cares? That time is long gone. Jacoby Ellsbury could come to the Yankee Yankee Stadium and they could play a tribute video. Why would I care? Why would I want to boo him? Or why would I preemptively try and stop him? We get hung up on tribute videos. The guy played for you. There's some footage of him in a Yankee uniform. And they have a digital guy on payroll. So they do something. Like, let it go, you weirdos. And Kevin Durant, I appreciate his comments. I do. And I do, on some level, like, get tired with how, you know, comfortable everybody is with everybody and exchanging jerseys at the end of the games and all that. I'd like some intenseness and some rivalries and some bitterness. I think that plays into it, and I like that on some level. Like, I think we've gone too far, and everybody's part of the union, and everybody's a fa- everyone's part of the NBA, MLB, NFL family, and it might get testy on the field, but ultimately very little does, and they're all best friends, and, and they are looking to exchange jerseys and hang them up in their house, and everybody's great, and this one's great, and that one's this. I, 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 would, I would love to have more bitter rivalries and teams that hate each other, and I agree with that. But celebrating guys who even sucked in your uniform, who cares? If Kevin Durant has a brief a tribute video, you move on. You gotta boo, you gotta boo the guy. You gotta hate the guy. He played in your uniform. He's one of the great players in the history of the NFL, uh, NBA. You watch the video. You don't applaud because yes, there's not as he said. There's nothing to celebrate. They played the video. He's in town. You move on. And not that even the Net fans have complained. Just in in history, we we get so hung up on this. When they booed Aaron Hicks's uh, tribute video, I thought it was ridiculous. Stuart and Brooklyn, you were probably there that day, Stu. But when the 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 Aaron Hicks tribute video, you... no, I was not there. I bet Chris. you you were. I was not there, and I wouldn't have booed Aaron Hicks. He was a player. He played. He had some good moments, Chris. He had some good moments, but he overall he could not handle New York, and he was and often he just, injured. Yeah, and he just signed with the Angels, uh, I think, for seven hundred and fifty thousand, which takes seven hundred and fifty thousand off the books of the Yankees. So, thank you, Anaheim. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, well, he, he got his money, and Snow Snow wants nine years, uh, two hundred and seventy million. You nailed it, Stu. I'm so I don't want to talk about Blake Snell anymore. Yeah, but let's say this much first. He's not getting it. No, he is not. He is not getting it. Not from anyone. That is 100% true. I mean, Montgomery has a better chance of getting something that he wants because he's been a lot more consistent pitcher, not two side runs wrapped around four years of inconsistency. Um, Yeah, I guess, but he's not shown the level of of brilliance that that Snell has shown. Yeah, well, yeah, let's say this much. Hopefully... This season, the Yankees can stay healthy, in particular John Carlos Stanton, and hopefully Anthony Rizzo comes back to being somewhat his former self. And Juan Soto and uh, Aaron Judge hit about, between the two, about 95 to 110 home runs. Yeah, sure. That that sounds terrific, Stu. I'm with you. I hope everyone stays healthy. That is the that that is the uh, huge factor for the New York Yankees. And hopefully, Giancarlo not only stays healthy, but you know can revert back to being who he was a little bit at least. <clears throat> but the Blake Snell thing. So here's the deal. Yes, the number. I don't. Know, I, I forget when it was a couple days ago, probably. But yes, apparently the counter to the Yankees, and which is why they ran to go get Stroman. They offered six years, one hundred and fifty, and yeah, he wants something like nine to. To 240. It's ridiculous. 
He's not going to get it. No one's going to give him that big-time contract. Nobody. He is going to have to settle for far less. I think it's probably in between. I think he'll probably get more than 150, but he won't come. I don't think he'll get 200, and he certainly won't come Won't come to that asking price. Totally agree. But here's the point, and I've said it a lot, and I'll say it again. Because Yankee fans and people I respect, again, I mentioned JJ, and not to, a lot of people have the opinion. I just happened to literally be watching it as I walked into the control room here. Blake Snell is not going to be a Yankee. It's over. They are not, I don't know, I don't know how much you think his number is going to fall. Yes, that ridiculous asking price will not be met. He will get 150. The Yankees won't even give him that contract anymore. That contract's gone. They went out and signed Stroman. 150 million. They are not going to sign him. He could call them up today and go, you know what? I was wrong. I want to be a Yankee. Offer me that same contract. We got a deal. The Yankees will say no. The only way it happens is if he takes a one-year deal because he thinks his market's completely fallen off for some reason and he wants to put up a good year, a winning year, and maybe, you know, win a World Series or or play in big, you know, games for the Yankees, and that's what he wants to do, and he'll sign a one-year deal, whatever the number is for one year. It'll have to be a big number, somewhere between 25 and 30. I think there's a chance for a one-year deal with the money coming off the books next year that the Yankees would pony up and pay Snell big money because, again, it would double because of the luxury tax threshold they're in. So a $25 million deal, just to make it a nice, even number, it's a $50 million paycheck that that uh, Steinbrenner's got to write. I don't think he wants to do that, but maybe for one year he'll do it. He is not giving Snell a long-term deal. That was on the table for a brief moment. That was before they got Stroman. Now they've added $18 million to the payroll this year. They are not bringing in Blake Snell. There is no number it could fall to. There is no contract that they could give him. It is over. It's not realistic. It's no longer in the cards. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see it because I want to bolster this rotation because I want to win a World Series this year. And as much as I think the Yankees could win a World Series this year, I think that certainly helps them getting another number two pitcher in case Rodon is the Rodon we saw last year, which is extremely possible. But it's over. Blake Snell is not going to be a New York Yankee. He is not going to be offered that contract again, and he's going to make at least 150. Someone eventually will pony up. I don't know when. I mean, you could be talking about well into spring training at this point. It depends on when Blake Snell is willing to bring his asking price down. But it is not going to be the New York Yankees. I'm telling you, they are done. They went out and got Stroman. That was their pivot. That $150 million contract's not even on the table anymore. So let's stop talking about it. I don't care they're the only team who offered them a contract. That means absolutely nothing. That contract is long gone. It will not be seen again. They will not even offer that same contract. It's over. Please stop talking about Blake Snell. There is no way in hell they're signing him. Again, I would gladly have egg on my face. Gladly. And I know there was a uh, report from somewhere that Cashman's got one more signing up his sleeve. Yeah, it's Wandy Peralta. It's it's, It's another reliever, which is fine. 
and we'll see how it goes. To me, it's an underwhelming offseason. It's not a devastatingly bad offseason. They got Juan Soto. And I do think Marcus Stroman's going to be a good pitcher for them. They got a solid number three, number four uh, rotation piece. And they got an addition of the of a Hall of Fame caliber stud, one of the best hitters in baseball, left-handed to go in the middle of that lineup, and they added Verdugo. They changed the lineup. They made it more balanced. And hopefully Rodon, who they gave $150 million to last year, can revert back to what he was two years ago. They added Stroman. Clark Schmidt hopefully continues to build. Nesta Cortez has been great for them. Hopefully comes back from his injury, and they have the best pitcher in baseball. It's an underwhelming offseason. It's not what I had hoped. It's not the all-out, make sure you're the best team in the American League uh, kind of offseason to all-in with Juan Soto kind of offseason. No, it's not. It's underwhelming. It's a, it's an, it's a pretty damn good offseason, but it's not great. It's eh. You got Juan Soto, so it's a little better than eh. But it's like, okay, fix the offense. Didn't do enough. Didn't really make us the, the favorite to come out of the American League, especially now that uh, the Astros are the Astros and always beat the crap out of the Yankees, and they added Hater to that bullpen, who now, you know, is going to strike out a, a gazillion people. And you still got, you know, the 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 World Series champ Texas Rangers and other teams. The Yankees are just in the mix. They had fallen out of the mix. They needed Juan Soto to get back into the mix. They did not go all in to make sure they were at the top of the mix. So it's an underwhelming offseason, but I'm positive on it, and I'm still ho- and I'm hopeful, and we'll see what happens. They need Rizzo to be healthy. They need Stan to be healthy. They need a lot. There's a lot of things that need to happen, which you could say about any team. But it's an underwhelming offseason, but it's already there. We've already had the un- – nothing is going to change it from being an underwhelming offseason. They are not going to get Snell. They are not going to get Montgomery. They are not. It doesn't sound like they're going to trade for a starting pitcher, although that, to me, is still, I guess, plausible, depending on how far the price tag falls for Bieber or Burns. If they even make Burns available, I don't think it would be Cease because I don't think the Yankees want to trade that much. So maybe Burns, pie in the sky, probably, almost certainly not. Maybe Bieber, pie in the sky, probably not. But they are not signing and paying another free agent. They are not giving a five-year $150 million contract to Snell. It's not happening. Not happening. Let's stop talking about it because it's not going to happen. Kevin in Hartford. What's up, Kevin? Hey, Chris. I Why why are we overlooking Trevor Bauer on like a one-year $5 million deal? The guy has... For the same reason every other team in baseball is. I understand that, but I mean... Why not just take the flyer? We want to talk about bolstering the rotation. Yeah, I think it's a good move. There is no doubt a five, whatever a one year deal for Bauer, whatever the number is that you could get him at. I'm not sure what it is, but it's going to be a tremendous bargain for the pitcher you get. There is no doubt about it. A one year deal for for Bauer, whatever the number is, five, ten, fifteen, whatever it is, and it's probably going to be less than fifteen. It yeah, is a, I think so. I mean, I, I know we're saving money. I know we're saving money to, to try to sign Soto long term, but we need another starting pitcher. I mean, the Strowman deal was a good deal, but we we need at least one more because I don't have any faith in Rodon. None, zero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have some. I, I think he'll be. I mean, he's he's had a track record, and he he got the contract. He's been, you know, he had two years there where he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. We'll see. Um, 
I agree with you though. It's hard to look at him as the clear cut number two. I, you know, I would should be if you told me it's fifty fifty. He's absolutely horrible or he's solid. So I mean, that's a that's not good for your number two pitcher to have a fifty fifty. So I'm with you. They, I, I wanted another starting pitcher. I agree. Uh, I think Bauer's a question mark on some level too. Everyone thinks Bauer's just going to come in and be great. He didn't pitch in Major League Baseball last year. I understand that uh, that he's got great stuff, but I mean, the, the, all the pressure that comes with it, joining the Yankees. Uh, trying to fit into a clubhouse and get back into baseball when I think at least some, if not you know most, of the the players on the team think you're at least at the very minimum a jerk. Um, and obviously Cole, dis- whatever they want to say about it, I don't think Cole's up at night thinking how much he hates uh, Trevor Bauer. Has dartboards on the inside of his bathroom door with uh, with uh, <laughs> with his face on it, but clearly does not like Trevor Bauer. Uh, I, I think that's the reputation inside baseball that he's a jerk, and then plus the accusations and whether or not you know they've been proven completely false or not. I just think there's a feeling around the clubhouses of Major League Baseball that he's a real jerk. So the pressure of dealing with walking into a clubhouse where most, if not all, of the, your teammates are at the very minimum questioning what kind of guy you are uh, to endear yourself into a new team to come onto the pressure of pitching in New York, like. That's fine. It'll be a bargain for whatever you get him for. But I think it's unfair to just assume you are going to get like you think it's it's a it's a far less risk or you have more confidence in him than than uh, Rodon. I don't know. I think I, just, I, just I think, think they're there's, equal. There's, there's an upside to signing. No him, doubt, there is a hundred percent of an upside to sign him. He could come in, fit the team, apologize to everybody personally, or just at least have a conversation with everybody personally, and then ultimately pitch well, and no one will care. And then come July, he could have a a two-and-a-half ERA, be one of the candidates for the Cy Young Award, throwing 99 miles an hour, and that's all people are going to talk about is how great Bauer's been. That that is, without question, uh, Kevin, 100% a possibility. The other possibility is Cole hates him, the rest of the team feeds off that vibe. He's an outcast inside the room. He feels uncomfortable with the team. He gets pressure from outside and inside the organization. He starts pitching poorly and never recovers and has a disaster of a year. But at whatever it's going to cost to get him, it's a it's a worthwhile chance, no doubt about it. Whatever they sign him for will be a bargain and worth it. But as far as the baseball side goes, because if you sign him for $5 million and he sucks, okay. You eat the $5 million, you put him on the bench, you cut him, you do whatever. But the PR hit and then the idea of what it does to the room is not only why the Yankees are passing, because, yes, for the Yankees, it's a great bargain. For any team in baseball, it's a bargain. No team goes into this season looking to lose, with with the exception of maybe Oakland. Like, any team in baseball could use a starting pitcher who's an ace Cy Young caliber pitcher at his best for a contract that he's going to be willing to take to get back into the door of Major League Baseball. There's not a team that can't use that player. Not a single team. Talk about the the, the lesser market teams. The Cleveland Guardians, they try and compete. You're telling me they can't use a pitcher like that? The Texas Rangers right now are struggling with their TV deal. Might not be able to sign Montgomery. They're the World Series champs. They want to stay there. They want to repeat. They got... Uh, Montgomery's looking for big money with a TV deal they're unsure of. They got Jacob DeGrom making big-time money, who could be coming off Tommy John surgery. Nathan Avoldi is one hell of a postseason pitcher, but has a tendency of getting hurt during the regular season. He's not a guarantee to be a stalwart all year long. You don't think they could use a $5 million Cy Young Award candidate? Every team can use it. Yes, the Yankees can. Every team. And I haven't even mentioned the Mets. 
and yet nobody's biting. Nobody. So I hear you. You're the Yankee fan. You don't care why nobody else is biting. You're curious why the Yankees aren't taking a chance. And I'll tell you the same reason every other team isn't taking a chance. And we'll see. Someone's going to give him a chance. And I'm not even saying he doesn't deserve one. He deserves a second chance, I suppose. There's enough evidence that that exonerates him. He was never even charged with a crime. And in the libel suit, he didn't have to pay a dollar. You can't get more exonerated from 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 uh, accusations as he's been. You almost can't. You almost can't. Unless she went on television and said, I made it up. Like, there's, there's almost no more exoneration than you can have. He's got a little bit of proof with some pictures and some text messages. And... Uh, the, neither the, the 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 justice system didn't even want to hear the case, and the libel uh, lawsuit ended with paying zero dollars. So, as disgusting and as horrendous and as horrid as the accusations were, he was found liable for none of it. So, does he deserve a second chance? Sure. Who's going to be the team that gives it to him? And it's hard for me to scream and cry that it should be the Yankees and what the hell are they doing when no other team in baseball, who every of every single one of them could use a starting pitcher of his elk at the money he's going to be making. I'm not going to kill the Yankees for not being the team to do it. 